Well, today is a very special day for Horizon and also for Chad. As some of you may know, Chad turns 50 years old today. And to make today even more special, we're celebrating 20 years since Chad has joined Horizon. And to help us celebrate this special occasion, I'd like to invite our executive board members and elders to the stage. Can I please introduce Shelly Lytle, Jeff Heinball, Brendan Hansford, and Keith Lindner. Guys, welcome. Hey. You can see you guys. Hey, yeah, Chad. Hey, Jeff. Hey, man. So, uh, Chad. Happy birthday. Thank you. 50. 50. Happy anniversary of your marriage to Beth, yep. 29. Yep, got married on my birthday. Yep, yes. I'll never forget, yeah. And also happy anniversary with Horizon. Well, thank you. It's been awesome. And so, do you remember this picture, you guys? Do you remember it? Yeah. 18 years ago. Yeah, so I've been, I've been working for about two years here, and uh, we gathered together, and you guys asked me to be senior pastor, and I'd kind of been dragging my feet on it, and you said, Chad, I feel like God's calling you, and I felt like God was calling, mm -hmm. and, and this was the moment that uh, you guys kind of recognized that God's calling was on my life and became senior pastor. It's an awesome moment. You know, the, the reason we're uh, smiling is because we've been fasting all day together. <laughs> we and we're about to eat back we were just about to have dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Those are some sharp yeah. white pants there, <laughs> <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was just such a, a happy day. And uh, at the dinner, we, we uh, prayed together mm -hmm. that God would bless your ministry here. And here we are 20 years later. Yeah. And when I, when I look at that picture, it's just a great visual of what Horizon's all about. It's just a community of friends laughing together, looking forward to dinner. <laughs> You know, and just doing our best to, to serve God together. Mm. I have a, oh, look at this. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, I've, been, I've been trying to get Jeff on the stage for 30 years, or 20 years rather, and Jeff's always on the children's stage uh, serving. He's been serving our children's ministry for 20 plus years, but uh, it's very rare we get him on stage. So, Jeff, thanks no, for being here. No, that's his. Uh this is what happens back at East Station. This is right after I filed my workers' comp claim against the church. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, and it, as we go on this, I can say just, Chad, you know, I think I can speak for Horizon and just say, you know, how much we appreciate you and Beth and your family and everything you've done for this church. Oh, um, thank you. you know, if you look around, it's amazing what God has done in gathering this, this special Horizon community together and just richly blessed us. And, so thank you for that. Well, thank you. If anybody wants to come back to East Station, um, <laughs> generally you don't end up in a crutch and a knee brace. So. <laughs> well, I remember when we first got started, uh, when you guys recognized me, I had the goatee, as you saw in the picture, because back then I looked 12, even though I was 29. So I grew the goatee so that I could look old enough. Now I just lost my hair to look old enough. So it's, it's worked out pretty well for years. So. Oh, that's a cool moment. So this was uh, our groundbreaking, right? It was our groundbreaking, yeah. And I think I built the whole church by myself. You did. Shelly was in charge. I dug she it she all dug out. it all herself. It was a big hole she dug there. So, <laughs> yes, that's my family. That's so Sierra, as you know, Sierra's our children's mm -hmm. pastor. So this Sierra's there at our groundbreaking as well. And there's Javen and there's Quinn, and we just adopted him. And it was such a cool moment. We all gathered together, family. We had a big big gathering right out here called Church on the Green. Just about six months early, we all came together and prayed. We brainstormed on little post-it notes mm -hmm. what the building might be like. And like everything in this building comes back to all the community bringing those ideas together back then. It was very yeah. cool. And look at that guy up there. Man. He, he looks as young as you do today, Brendan. So that's mm -hmm. Brendan on the far left if you don't recognize him. And he was our barefoot 
bass player. <laughs> so if you didn't know it, uh, he volunteered for many years after his friendship with Keith, come to, to know Christ here, and then uh, he was one of our bass players. So cool moment there, too. Why exactly did you uh, go barefoot? <laughs> you know, I would never have done it if I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's still a secret today. Uh, he won't tell. He's going to take it to his grave. And a lot of conspiracy theories about why the bare feet, but mm -hmm. we'll never know. Yeah. I bet you wish they'd be on the big screen like this. <laughs> and uh, we did have a lot of special moments together, and, and that's continuing now. Um, the... Uh, picture uh, before there was kind of before we had this wonderful building and I'll just say thank God for this building thank you all for this building uh, God turned homes into churches mm -hmm. so you can kind of see you know us the Horizon Church community uh, we're kind of the the walls and you know the beautiful oak trees were kind of the chapel ceiling and uh, I remember just to the right uh, before this uh, Chad did a teaching, the worship team uh, underneath those oak tree branches mm -hmm. uh, did music. And Kenny, back there, you, you, uh, you got in the water, I think, one of those days in that yeah. pool. So, uh, yeah, just wonderful, wonderful stuff. In fact, I love that moment. I got a chance, as you saw in the early picture, I, I got to baptize Sierra there. So this is my daughter. I baptized wow. her there. And now she's baptizing uh, kids in our children's ministry. So it's awesome mm -hmm. to see the multi-generational thing that goes on there, too. So... Pretty cool moment how God's really used all of our you know, humble efforts to impact him. And, and it's impacted your family too, Keith. Well, that's, that's a goatee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back in those days, you know, Chad was a fashion uh, trendsetter. So the, the red oh, yeah. blonde yeah. facial hair was kind of a thing, you know. <laughs> no, that, that's uh, my wife, Courtney, and, and me. And I, I was going to wear that shirt today, but I think that... <laughs> The baptism, holy water, shrink it somehow. But um, no, it, it uh, back then, uh, you know, Chad let us pray for him, and it was really nice. Uh, that's us right there. Uh, so, Chad, would you, with the Horizon community, uh, would you let us pray for you? Sure, again? I'd love that. Yeah, All right. yeah. yeah. Father God, we praise you for sending Chad as a gift to us. God, as we lift Chad up to you, we say thank you, Chad, for giving your life to our community. Chad, may our Lord share with you how pleased he is with your life of service. And for us, the Horizon community, May we keep the celebration going with each of us continuing this prayer again tonight, this week, and for the rest of our earthly lives, thanking God for Chad, for our whole Horizon team, and for such a wonderful Horizon community. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Keith. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Well, it has been an awesome uh, journey together as friends, and if, if you haven't met our, our exec team that we've been together uh, in some form or fashion over the last 20 years, it's been awesome to create spaces where people can comfortably connect to God through the Bible and, and really community, like you just saw, a community of growing Christ followers. 
And with that today, we're going to jump back into 2 Kings, and we're going to see some amazing things in the Bible. I think that's one of the things I've loved over the last 20 years is just the incredible insights we've been able to glean together as we've been just finding what God has to say through this book that's transformed lives for generations. If you haven't been with us, we're in 2 Kings, and in 2 Kings, the, uh, the kingdom has been divided into the north and the south of Israel. Weirdly, it's called Israel to the north. We're still in Israel, but the southern part is called Judah. So two different sections. There's going to be several different names mentioned today, but you don't need to keep track of all of them. In general, Elisha is the prophet of God, and he is wooing and warning the kings who continually rebel against God to lean them or lean into to, to God in their lives. The king of the south is a man named Joash. We learned about the last couple of weeks when we were together. He's the king of Judah to the south. But to the north, this is Israel, we have a king named Jehoahaz. And he's going to reign, do some bad stuff, and then his son, this isn't confusing enough, Jehoash. So Joash, Jehoash, and they use the names interchangeably. Uh, he will be up to the north. So we're going to find today, mostly we're talking about the kingdoms of Israel to the north and these two different father and son. Now the main bad guy in our story today are the Syrians. So the Syrians are the north of Israel, and we've learned a little about Haziel. He's been coming in to attack Israel several times. Well, he will die, and his son Ben-Hadad will continue the oppression from the south. So that's what we're going to look at today. And as we do that, some incredible application to the big questions are going to come up. Is there life after death? What happens when you die? And you ever wondered, like, why is resurrection such a major part of the New Testament when it's seemingly unmentioned and untaught or barely mentioned in the Old Testament. Elisha, he's been gone for the last couple chapters, basically unmentioned. However, do you remember when Elijah died, when we started this journey back in January? God took him up to heaven, didn't die, and went to heaven in a fiery chariot. And remember, Elisha said, I want a double portion of that. And he says, well, if God lets you see me go up to heaven, he'll give you that double portion. How does Elisha die? I'm not sure I could answer that question until I started saying 2 Kings. Elijah gets a chariot. What would be double that? We're going to find out today. And we're going to find a theme in the Old Testament here in 2 Kings that's just as true through the entire New Testament. And it's real simple. <laughs> Listen to the guy who brought the dead back to life. Is that good advice for life? Of all the different sources of advice, all the different sources of truth, I say we listen to the man who brought the dead back to life. And in his final hours, Elisha is still trying to do what God called him to do, still trying to tell the kings, reach out to God, lean into God, send your life on God. Take advantage of God's deliverance. Take advantage of God's arrows. Take advantage of God's promises. Because what we're going to discover today is what you don't conquer with God's power, you're going to have to recapture. So th three things we need to take advantage of. So here we've got Jehoaz to the north, interacting during the days of Joash. And the th first thing we need to take advantage of is God's deliverer and God's deliverance. You see, we struggle with worry, temptation, fears. There's so many things that we need delivered from. And most specifically, our inability to live up to our own standards, let alone God's. And God knows that. So God sent a deliverance for us and a deliverer to bring out that. 
but you've got to take advantage of it. Let's see if Jehoaz does. So in the 23rd year of Joash, the king of Judah to the south, Jehoaz, the king over Israel, is in Samaria. And he's going to reign for 17 years. <laughs> Just like all the kings before him, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he followed the sins of Jeroboam. We'll talk about that more next week. This pattern been going on for generations, the sins of Jeroboam. Who had made Israel sin, and he, Jehoaz, did not depart from it. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria, and into the hand of his son, Ben-Hadad, all of their days. So Jehoahaz, feeling the, the heat is on from this oppression, he pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. See, the amazing thing about God is even when we rebel, even when we do the wrong thing, even when we don't obey him, he's just longing for us to cry out to him, God, I've let my life get controlled by, by, by things. I've let my life be controlled by fear. I've let my life be controlled by worry. God, deliver me. And God listened to him. I love that line. For God saw the oppression that they were under because the king of Syria oppressed them. Then the Lord, look at this line, gave them a deliverer. This is all grace and mercy. They don't deserve this. They've been rebelling against God. But God sent a deliverer to rescue them. So that they escaped. They got deliverance from under the hand of the Syrians. And the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. It's like, wow, God delivered us. And how do they respond to this miraculous gift of mercy and kindness from God? How do you think they respond? The way they always respond. The way we respond. We have a tendency to take it for granted and once we're delivered from the fire, we go back to our old gods. The next line, I love this line, nevertheless. Despite what God has done, and they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin. But instead they walked in those ways. They walked in those temptations. And the wooden image remained in Samaria. So we'll get to what that, that image is in a second. For the Haziel had hit them so hard, he only left a small army for Jehoaz. Only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, 10,000 foot soldiers. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made like the dust at the threshing floor. God was teaching a lesson. When I remove my hand of protection, your other gods don't protect you. Now you felt the sting of that. Man, appreciate my protection, my deliverance in your life. It says, now the rest of the acts of Jehoaz... All that he did and his might, they're, they're written in the book of the Chronicles, which is written by the priests of the kings of Israel, if you want to know more. So Jehoaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Joash, Jehoash, so I, I put it in here just to help you. So then Jehoash, his son, takes over. So that's where we're at. Jehoash, his son, reigned in his place. So here's the question. If God has got deliverance for you, and it's provided a deliverer for me and you. Are you taking advantage of that deliverance? Is God's deliverance in your life of the highest value? What does it look like for you and for me to take advantage of God's deliverance? Here is where the king was. Isn't that incredible? This is the royal palace in Samaria. This is where he sat. And despite everything God has done, it says that he continued the high places of Jeroboam. The high place is like a big mountaintop, and it was where they sacrificed to other gods. And it said the wooden sticks still remained there. 
So these wooden things were called Asherahs. They're like big wooden poles. And it was after the god Asherah, which was either Baal's mom or Baal's sister, depending on which, one, uh, which account you read. They continue to worship pleasure and comfort over God, and it leads them back into bondage. Are we valuing God's deliverance more than all other things in our life? Are we taking advantage of his deliverer and his deliverance? When I was in college, uh, I had an opportunity to have Jerry Jenkins come and speak at our class one day. It was one of our, uh, our writing classes. And Jerry Jenkins, is, was, he, he introduced himself as the most famous author we'd never heard of before. Because he was a ghostwriter for a lot of things, like Walter Payton. He's from Chicago. So Walter Payton, when he did really well in the NFL, you know, he was known as Sweetness. If you remember, I, watched the, I only watched the NFL one year. It was the, the year the Bears won the Super Bowl in the Super Bowl shuffle. So I picked the one year to watch the Bears well. Well, Jerry Jenkins had written the biography for, for Walter Payton and many, many others. He got famous since then because he wrote the whole Left Behind series. And his son, Dallas Jenkins, is the one who's producing The Chosen Show. So some of his kind of accolades. We spoke in class that day of all, he said, I don't have a lot of talents, but I do love to speak uh, and I do love to write. I'm always writing four or five novels at once, if you can imagine that. He lives in downtown Chicago and he accumulated enough uh, success that he loved racquetball. He built a racquetball court onto his uh, place in Chicago to play racquetball. Yet he said of all the things he'd accomplished, of all the great things God had allowed him to do, the greatest thing he ever did in his life happened when he was crawling on his grandma's couch when he was a kid. He said he would crawl up on grandma's couch, and grandma had this picture on the wall. It was a picture of Jesus knocking on the door. It's not quite that one, but it's a lot like it. He said, and he's heard many sermons since then that this isn't a picture of salvation. He said, but it was for me. That Jesus was standing at the door and knocking, and there was a day on Grandma's couch, I decided to open the door and ask God's deliverance into my life. And Jesus became my forgiver. He became my leader. And that is far more the most successful thing I ever did, is opening the door to Jesus, than every other thing I ever did. Wow. Are you taking advantage of God's deliverance and God's deliverer? Second thing we need to take advantage of Take advantage of God's arrows. Elisha's going to show up here in our story, and he's going to turn to Joash now, who's in charge, and say, take advantage of God's arrows. Because here's the thing. These arrows only work if you work them. God can give you deliverance. He can give you power. He can give you promises. But unless you incorporate them into your life, they're not going to work. And that's exactly what happens here in the passage. So we catch back up to where we are. So the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, that's a time period, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, became king over Israel here to the north in Samaria. And he's going to reign 16 years. And guess what? He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Naboth, who made Israel sin, and he walked in those same patterns. So God's got deliverance. God's got promises. He's not walking in them. Okay, next slide. Now, the rest of the acts of Joash, all that he did, his might in which he fought against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of Chronicles? You want to get some more details. So Joash rested with his fathers. That was a short reign, wasn't it? And get this, Jeroboam replaces him. 
Isn't that the guy who's fallen the sins of? Yes, somebody named their son after the guy who led Israel stray for 10 generations. So it's not a good name for your child, by the way, Jeroboam. Um, so Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. It's not like, well, wow, that was fast. But then it zooms back a bit and says, let me give you a few more details of what happened before he died. So Jehoash heard that Elisha, Elisha's back, has become sick. And what we're going to find here is that God is going to give this king a gift. One last word from Elisha. But he's not going to use it. (laughs) And Elisha, the guy who's got a double portion of blessing, more than Elijah, he's sick. And the commentator tells us with the sickness that he's going to die from. Like Elijah's going to die like a regular sickness. He's healed people. He's raped people from the dead. He's just going to die because he got sick. What kind of a God lets his prophet just die? But the author's kind of teasing something. So Elisha is ill with the sickness by which he will die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down here with him and wept over his face. He said, oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen, which seems to be alluding to maybe how Elijah, his best friend and mentor, died with the chariots taking him to heaven. He recognized these are the final sacred hours we have together. And Elisha says to him, now you're sick, you're dying at your last hours. What are you going to say? Elisha is still trying to lead people back to God. And you've got to love this. That in his last hours, in his last breath, with his last might, he's still trying to do what God called him to do, which is lead people back to put God in the center of their life and on the throne of their life. So Elisha says this, hey, Jehoash, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. All right. So he says, hey, king, come over here. Put your hand on the bow, and I'm going to put my hand on top of your hand. All right, so put your hand on the bow. He put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hand. He says, open the east window. So he opened the east window, which was facing toward the Syrians. He says, I want you to pull back, and I want you to let it go. And he shoots that thing out the window. Shoot. And he shot. Then Elisha turns to the king and says, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. God is providing promises and victory for you to overcome the thing that's been holding you back. But you got to utilize it. you got to use the arrows God's given you. So he says, you must strike the Syrians at Aphek. They begin to eat into the territory of God up near the Sea of Galilee. They're going to continue to eat away unless you push back with God's power and God's promises. Until you have destroyed them. The king's like, okay, okay. What do you want me to do? So he says, I want you to take the quiver. Pulls out the quiver. Take the arrows. So the king took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with these. So the king gets out. And he's like, all right, that's kind of weird. Pulls out three of the arrows. And he strikes the ground. All right. Are we good? <laughs> Sorry you're dying. Elisha goes berserk. Look what he says. The man of God was angry with the king. You should have struck five or six times. God gave you five or six arrows. Why didn't you use them all? You should have struck Syria until you destroyed it. Now will you only strike Syria three times? And this is exactly what's going to happen in history. Rather than fully pushing back the Assyrians, fully using God's promises and God's power, he's only going to attack three times, and it's going to end up devastating the next generation because he didn't take advantage of God's arrows of deliverance in his life. 
Let me show you what this looks like on a map. So this is where we are in Israel. There in Samaria, let's zoom into the Samaria area, and you see Samaria is just halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And Aphek is right over there by the Sea of Galilee. He says, I want you to push them all the way out for the sake of this generation and the next. But instead, you've got a little bit of God in your life, a little bit of deliverance in your life, but you don't fully incorporate it. See, God is giving through Elisha to the king the gift of time. You have one more chance to incorporate my power and deliverance. So Elisha is going to die around 800 B.C. Jehoash isn't going to die until 796. He's got four years of more opportunity, a little dash. That's really what we all have, just a little dash of time to utilize what God's given us. Will we waste that time? Will we coast during that time? And God is so kind and so merciful that even after the king dies, he still holds back the Assyrian army from king, conquering Israel until 732. Because God doesn't want his people to live without him. What are you doing with your dash? With the time you've been given? Has God given you arrows of deliverance and promises? And are you incorporating them in your life? And what would it look like to incorporate them in your life? We had a Seder service recently with a bunch of 20 and 30 year olds who attend our church and we walked through the Jewish Passover service and leading up to communion. We came to the part when you dip the parsley into the salt water, a reminder of the, the tears that Israel had for 400 years before God delivered them. And I gave a chance for anyone around the table to share what they were praying for or what they were thankful for God delivering them for. And we just had this sacred moment. People that didn't know each other well, some that did, who just shared very personal things. Struggles with infertility. Struggles with, with medical mysteries. A family dilemma and how to mix grace and truth in the midst of setting boundaries but also creating openness. And that they really want God's wisdom to help figure out how to mix the tears in their life and say, God, I wonder what it's like for you to be with me as I do this. One couple shared that their marriage had been going through a challenge the last couple of years. They started attending Horizon. They attend one service, they serve at one service, and they, then they attend our 11 o'clock service. And being around God's word over the last year together, he said it's just been, begun to transform both of us. We're finding our marriage is better. We're finding our, our lives are better because we're, we're seeing God's promises and deliverance begin to work out in our life. And I love that. I love for 20 plus years we've been part of real people finding God's real promises and seeing what it looks like in their life. But you've got to take advantage of the arrows. That's what Elisha says. If you don't take advantage of it, you're not going to get it. Which brings us to the third thing we need to take advantage of. We need to take advantage of God's reliability. His promises are true and his warnings are true. But also God's resurrection. Elisha died from that sickness. It's the most uneventful death ever. It just says, he says these last words and he's dead. So Elijah died. Well, that was uneventful. And they buried him. And they lowered him down into a catacomb and placed his body there. And almost like, and now for something completely different. 
The next line is, and the raiding bands from Moab, from the south, go back one, the, the raiding um, bands from the south start coming up. And you're going to see in a second, so do the ones from the north. So the very people that the king did not abolish are now raiding the land, raping, stealing, killing the Israelites because the king did not incorporate God's promises. But Elisha's dead in the middle of it. And Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. And so it was, and now for something completely different, there was a man that they were burying. There just happens to be kind of a funeral going on. There was a friend who died. So now he's died, all the bloods come out of him, and there's a funeral march where some friends are marching their friend to the grave. And as they're marching their friend toward the grave, it says suddenly they spied a band of raiders. Oh my goodness, here come the Moab raiders, here come the Syrian raiders. We're not going to make it to the tomb we wanted to bury him in. We've got to find a tomb that's closer. <gasps> this tomb, let's put him in this tomb. So they take their buddy who's died, and they find the closest tomb because the raiders are coming, and they lower their friend down into the tomb. Look what it says in the next verse. Next verse. They put the man in the tomb of Elisha. They don't know it's Elisha's tomb. Down, down, down he goes. And when they let the man down, he bumps into Elisha. The minute he bumps into Elisha, he who had no life suddenly has life. Man, your buddy, you're at a funeral. You put him down into the grave. You're trying to get away from the Syrians. All of a sudden, hey, guys, what's up? And he revived. And he stood on his feet. And then as if this wasn't mentioned, the next verse is, and by the way, back to Haziel, king of Assyria, pressed Israel all the days Jehoahaz. We don't get any more detail about the guy who's raised from the dead by Elisha. In the middle of this story, of disobedience and oppression and people not taking advantage of what God has, God places a man who seemingly has this insignificant death. But the double blessing of God is that this man, his very body was so empowered by God that he brought the dead back to life. This little picture of God's plan that would be woven into the New Testament the thing you least expect, seeming a minor detail in the story, becomes God's main story. That he who was God's prophet came to warn us and to woo us with thought to be dead. And through his power and his body, we would be revived. And we would come back again. The power of God's resurrection and God's reliability. God is reliable. His promises are reliable. So he says in the next verse here. It says, so Haziel... The king of Syria oppressed Israel all the days Jehoahaz. But look again, the kindness of the Old Testament God. But the Lord, despite all this rebellion, despite all the disagreements, despite not taking advantage of the arrows, the Lord was gracious to them, had compassion on them, and regarded them. I love that line. Because of what they did? No, because of the covenant he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would not destroy them or cast them from his presence, even though they deserved it. See, God wants us to trust his resurrection and know that his covenant is reliable because he's committed to you even when you're not committed to him. It says, now Haziel, king of Syria, died, and Ben-Hadad, his son, reigned in his place. Now Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, recaptured from the hand of Ben-Hadad. See, if you don't conquer what God has for you, somebody's going to have to come back and recapture it. 
Capture those areas that you let go when you let worry come into your life or, or temptation come into your life or fear come into your life. When you don't conquer those areas, somebody in some other generation is going to have to come back and recapture those things. The cities which he had taken from the hand of Jehoahaz, his father by war. Three times Joash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel. See, if you'll take advantage of God's arrows, you don't have to recapture something because you conquered it to begin with. How about for you? What does it look like for you to take advantage of God's reliability and resurrection in your life? What might it help you recapture? Your passion for God? Your hope? Your peace? Might it rekindle a love for God, his work in your life? Archaeologists dug down. They found a tomb very similar to the one Elisha would have been placed in. So imagine here in Samaria... Up near Afak, there's a body, a skeleton laying in a tomb. That's not Elisha, but it's just like somebody like that's laying down there. But the tomb like this, Elisha was placed in. And who would know that the power you needed for your life isn't found in power and might and, and a great conquest, but the power you and I need for our life can be found in a grave. For it's in the grave we die to our own sins and wrongdoing. We die to our own efforts that are not adequate. And we find the one who can bring life back to the dead. You know, it has been an honor for the last 20 years to be your pastor. And it has been an unbelievable privilege. And I think one of the things that has been the most privilege for me is the trust that you've given me. And more than that, the trust your friends have given our whole church. I mean, it's a sacred trust. To know that we're opening the Bible and we're studying it together. The friends who are maybe not into church or skeptical church church will come into our building. We, I heard like four or five stories this week. Folks saying, I'd never been in church before. I stepped into Horizon. Didn't believe it. Still don't believe it. Don't know if I'm going to believe it. But I love hearing you guys share your heart, what God's done in your life, and why you've come to your conclusions. And to me, that's a sacred trust. It's been an honor for the board, the, the way they've given me freedom to, to do some crazy things over the years and weird ideas that I have and, and uh, study the Bible together and find creative ways to draw people into the Bible. And, and the staff team, they threw a party for me this week, and I'm just so appreciative. It reminds me of when I was five, this was my first Bible. Actually, this isn't it because I wore it out, but I started reading this Bible. It's the entire Bible and comic book from Genesis to Revelation. So I remember I used to sit in church, bored out of my mind. But man, I loved reading the Bible. So I'm just reading the Bible like this is an incredible story with incredible works. And, and I fell in love with God from this book. And I fell in love with Jesus from this book. And I remember sitting in church, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, tenth grade, and I'm thinking, man, why can't this be presented up there the way it is in here? And it has been an absolute thrill. Actually, now in our children's message, we give these away to parents to think about how God used the Bible in my life as an early age. It's been an absolute thrill to only be your pastor, but also to be invited into some sacred moments. I've been with some of you at your highest highs, and you know, I've been with many of you in some of your darkest secrets. I've seen marriages come back together through the power of Jesus and his resurrection, bringing life into a dead marriage, where it's now... It's vital now. It's just flourishing now. 
I've seen people in deep, dark secrets come and say, Chad, you never want to be my friend after this. But let me tell you what I'm, when I'm, when I'm, the secret habit I have. And to see that shame just cast off. And to see God begin to work and begin to redeem, begin to work. So we're looking forward. Keith wants me for another 30 years. So at least 20 more years. I don't know if I'll be able to do it 30 years now, but I'm going to try. Looking for 20 more years of God's faithfulness, of putting him first, lifting the Bible up, and seeing how God can transform us all. Let's pray. Father, I'm just filled with gratitude and filled with worship this morning. And I just thank you for uh, this church. I thank you for each life. I thank you for our leaders. I thank you for their humility. I thank you for our staff. I just ask God that you would continue to lead us for the next 20 years in a way that uh, we can walk in faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you want to worship with us tonight, we're going to have a giant worship service tonight under the tent. We invite you to be part of that. Thanks for being here tonight. See you at 7. Thank you.